Welcome to the Men at Work podcast, episode number six. I'm your host, Travis Streb. Today, we are talking to my friend, Keith McPherson. He believes that mindfulness can and will be made accessible to everybody on the planet. Uh, I totally agree. Uh, He's a great author. He's a speaker. His most recent book is called Making Sense of Mindfulness. We talk about it a bit on the show. But in this episode, I think what Keith really does well is he helps us demystify mindfulness. We talk about why it matters, how you can bring more of it into your daily life, and what it looks like in practice. Keith also shares some really great insights on the art of staying present and demystifying that concept, and also about how our saboteur mindsets can get in our way. Our conversation took a deeper look at some of the challenges that men face, in particular around mindfulness and emotional expression. So we talked about tapping into feelings and what it means to cultivate intuition as a man and why that's important. So all of this has great application in work and in life. And I know you're going to get a ton from listening to this conversation. So here we go with episode number six. Keith, it is so good to have you on the Men at Work podcast. When we got first acquainted, I was blown away that there was this man out there, this talented musician, now turned mindfulness coach, uh, executive leadership coach as well. And I'm like, man, this is like a marriage of these things I love. I have no (laughs) musical talent, but mindfulness and leadership um, and coaching is certainly up my alley. Maybe just for my listeners' benefit, you can give us a bit of background on your story because you got to hear it to believe it. Sure. Well, first, I have to say I'm honored to be on this podcast, and I think it's just amazing what you're doing creating these conversations, and particularly uh, men at work. Like, it's just such a powerful thing. It actually moves me to almost tears to know that there's other people like you. Um, My story's definitely not traditional in how I got into the whole world of coaching and mindfulness. This goes back for me, actually, to the seventh grade, and I was failing French class, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh, when I think all the way back to when this whole thing started for me, it was then. And I went to my teacher in tears, and I asked if I could do an extra project in French. And my teacher said, I get one shot. So I went home that night, and she said, you can do whatever you want, as long as there's something to do with French. And I picked up my guitar, and I'd been learning chords. And uh, that night, I, I realized I could translate an old Bob Dylan song into French. So I translated Blowing in the Wind into uh, Souffle dans le vent. And I handed it in on a cassette tape. Got an A-plus on the assignment. Brought my grade up in French to a D-minus, which was awesome. And uh, I got asked if I'd sing the song in front of the school. And at the time, it was the last thing I wanted to do in the seventh grade. I mean, my voice was cracking. Man. I had an awkward crush on Stephanie. I'm like... That sounds terrible. (laughs) It was terrifying. I was like, I don't want to do this at all. And uh, my teacher kept pushing pushing my edge to the point where I, I finally said yes. And I got up in front of the school, and I began to play my song. And, and then the whole school <laughs> kind of just started, like, laughing and making fun of me while I'm up there trying to play my, my song. And in the middle of the song, I, uh, I got this little intuition that reminded me I just learned the chords to um, the Fred Penner song, The Cat Came Back. Mm. It's, it's a kid's song. It's a great song. It is. And I broke into it. 
And all of a sudden, the whole school started singing along with me. And I remember looking out and seeing this, and this is in the seventh grade, thinking, I want to do this for the rest of my life. So um, that's where my journey started. And so I spent the last 20 years as a musician traveling the world. And as the music industry started crumbling when things became very free, um, I felt like I was forced to take a deeper look at why am I doing what I'm doing? And during that time, I, I realized that it's always been about connection. It's about the power of connection. And as my time as a musician, I saw that firsthand. When a song would come on and everybody would sing along or react with positivity, it was like, oh, there's something here. And so for me, when we talk about mindfulness practice, um, this is really the foundation of it, is connecting, as you often reference, to connecting to something deeper than necessarily what's happening on the surface level. And you've, I mean, you've been speaking to groups about mindfulness. You've been coaching people on this. And I still, I think it's important. Like, what is it? What is this mindfulness topic? And it, this, <laughs> I, I get, I especially get resistance from from men around this. Like they, they're like, oh, is, like does this mean I got to sit around in a circle and like breathe with people or sing what? kumbaya? Yeah, like so. Taste raisins. <laughs> let's 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 break it down. Like, what's what is mindfulness? Sure. Well, you know, the most uh, resonant way of defining this that I found was from Susan Kaiser Greenland. She's actually a children's author on mindfulness. And sometimes kids' books have the most wisdom in them. I oh, find. they do. They're just like, they cut to the chase. <laughs> yeah. And she says mindfulness is paying attention in the present moment to yourself and others with kindness. And that really resonated. It, it sounds so simple on the surface. Yeah, pay, of course I'm going to pay attention to myself and others with kindness. But when I start monitoring how I go through my day, uh, that's quite a challenge, especially the kindness part. The kindness part to myself is quite a challenge. But in essence, when you break it all down, this is what the invitation is, is to start um, becoming more and more aware of this present moment that's happening in real time and starting to monitor, like, what am I thinking about on a regular basis? How am I being while I'm going through the, the motions of my day, whether I'm in a meeting with clients or I'm on the phone or I'm hanging out with my spouse. How am I being while I'm doing all of this stuff? And it's very easy to hang out on the surface. You do work in the business world, though. Yes. So is the, you know, I mean, I, I know that there must be some room, but is, the, is there room for kindness, that part of it, as opposed to just being consciously aware of all the people and kind of judging and not liking them as we move around our day. But it, where where's the room for kindness in the business world? I think we're living in a time where people are hungry. They're, they're starving for more meaning, more connection, more depth. And um, the entryway isn't going to be just through linear thinking, through the conscious mind. We need to take a wider lens approach to this and realize that there's more to us than just the shoulders up, you know, the intellect. And I think that's why there's, there's a movement into this right now. And so kindness in the workplace, oh, there's lots of room to grow there. And it's exciting because I think that um, when we actually come from a place of kindness and compassion, things expand. Where when we're operating out of fear, everything contracts, including the bottom line. <laughs> you know, we're so caught up in, oh, I need to make money. I need to get more, especially in the corporate way of thinking about things. It's all about the bottom line. And of course, you need to survive. But I've found that a lot of companies are limiting themselves because 
the the whole culture is fear-based. It's like, we need to do more. We need to get more. We need to get ahead. And that push, that kind of forceful drive, it's actually counterintuitive. They're actually holding back from the abundance that could flow in if they open themselves up to a little bit more compassion, kindness, um, lighting people up in the workplace to really offer the gifts they have as opposed to just having them sit at a desk and enter whatever the data is. It's like, what lights you up? So when you go <laughs> into these into corporations in the corporate world, how do you bring mindfulness to them? Yeah, varying degrees depending on where the company is at. Um, I operate quite intuitively, so it's uh, there's not really a linear approach for me. Um, but typically, it, it starts out as a typically a keynote type talk, usually an hour, and I'm just basically talking about some very basic principles of mindfulness that I've put together um, and just how that can really help people in their everyday life. So the principles are very basic, monitoring your thinking, um, naming what I call the saboteur and that fear mindset, opening your mind. I try to draw parallels between our conscious and unconscious mind and get into a bit of science around that um, and just give people some actual concrete tools, basic things they can be doing during the day. Um, typically, that's where I start when I go in. And then as things expand, um, sometimes it'll get into one-on-one -on -one coaching conversations with particular departments or sometimes it's corporate senior leaders. Um, and, and it just kind of spirals. And so I find every single time I go in, it's different. It's not, there's no linear approach to this type of stuff. It's got to be really organic to me and intuitive and real as opposed to just, here's the textbook on how to bring mindfulness into the workplace. Because in, that, in my opinion, that actually cuts us off from what we're trying to connect to, which is what's happening right now? What do we need right now? So it's edgy. I have to say it's quite edgy to do that. I bet. Yeah, especially in the corporate world, we're not designed to think in this way. <laughs> you know? No, no. I mean, I, I see that. I see that in my work, and I think is this is especially true for men to be thinking in that linear way. Yeah. I mean, it's the way that we're that we're hardwired, the way that we're programmed. Yeah. Is that linear thinking, and so this challenges that in some ways. I want to ask you something though. I mean, you brought up this idea of the saboteur. Yeah. And I know you and I have chatted about this briefly before, but how does that show up in the mindfulness context? Mm -hmm. Well, um, in the work that I've done, I, I call it principle two in the mindfulness framework, expose the saboteur. And for those of you listening that aren't aware of this, um, the saboteur mindset is that sometimes comes on as a voice in our head, in the back of our head that's speaking. Sometimes it's just a feeling. It's often associated with a place of fear-based um, you're not good enough, you're going to fail, there's not enough, it's limited uh, thinking. Um, and it's been said that every single one of us has an uh, aspect of this playing out in our consciousness. Um, I went so far as to actually start exposing mine and going, like, what does my saboteur, this aspect that's telling, us, telling me I can't do this, or I'm going to fail, or I'm not good enough, what does this actually like look like? And I, I drew a picture of it, and... Um, <laughs> I ended up drawing this little stick character that basically represents this voice that comes up in my head. Even right now, during the podcast, it's saying, oh, you shouldn't have said that. That It didn't make sense. Or, you know, somebody's going to listen to this and roll their eyes right now. Like, this is my saboteur speaking. That's, uh, that's my favorite saboteur. Yeah? As I've gotten into this, I've had a number of occasions where I've said something. I'm like, oh, there's going to be so many eye rolls. Right? Yeah. That's a good point. It gets very, very... Um, 
sensitive about what other people are going to think of me, uh, that whole approval thing. It basically pushes all the buttons in me that feel kind of like my, my pain points. And it's associated in mindfulness with um, the part of our brain that's associated with fight or flight. And uh, that part of our primal brain that's like, don't go out on the street because you're going to be attacked by lions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. It, it actually is the part of us that's mentally trying to keep us safe from being harmed, right? But the problem is that a lot of times it's kind of outdated. And so because it's keeping us, it's like an overprotective parent. It's keeping us in this safe zone. We never step outside our comfort zone and hence we don't grow. So... Um, Exposing the saboteur in the mindfulness framework is all about becoming aware of how is this operating in my life? Does it come on as a voice? Is it more of a feeling in my body that I experience? Um, what does it look like? You know, does it remind me of somebody? Is it, one of, is it like one of my in-laws? <laughs> you know? And to start naming it, um, because when we name it, uh, it, it no longer holds complete power over us, and we start realizing that we have choices in the present moment. Um, it's important to say the saboteur tends to operate in a place of past or future thinking. So when our mind drifts off and we're not aware of it and we start worrying about things like, you know, you're at in bed at night and your mind starts wondering, oh my gosh, I got all these things to do tomorrow. It's not going to get done on time. Or how am I going to pay that bill next week? The saboteur takes over. It's, it's all operating in the past or the future mindset. But when we get present in the moment, all of a sudden you take a deep breath and you realize that in this moment I am completely safe. I'm not at harm right now and I never will be if I stay present. I always know what to do when I reset back to the present moment. It's that saboteur mentality that takes me out of this moment and has me worrying and as a result my body gets tight, I stress out and I'm in fear mode. So say more about that because I mean I think this is going to be an uncomfortable thing for a lot of men to consider. Absolutely. Well, uh, if you haven't heard the acronym for fear, that really resonates for me. Uh, Fear, false evidence appearing real. False evidence appearing real. And if we want to get very scientific on it, you can go look at the study they did at Harvard about it, where they tracked people um, through the span of time where they had them write down all the things they were worrying about, and then they followed them all the way through to the end. And what they found was that approximately 70% of the people that wrote down their fears, the fear that they were worrying about didn't actually come into fruition. And that small margin where it did reported back, it wasn't as scary as they'd built it up to be. Yet we spend most of our thinking time in this place of worry, in this place of fear, overanalyzing. And when that happens, it's, um, it's a complete creative block because all of a sudden our mind is completely consumed with something that's not actually happening. (laughs) It's just uh, the possibility of it happening and it becomes false evidence appearing real. So that's one way to be in the world. It's not very enjoyable. Um, So the invitation, it's to notice when your your mind is going into that place of fear mode and to pause, to take a deep breath, to reset into the moment and to tap into the, what I would call intuitive part of you part of you that holds all wisdom. Um, It's been said that our mind and our body are like two partners in a relationship. Your mind is one partner and your body is the other partner. And they're constantly talking to each other. But it tends to be a dominant conversation with one partner 
doing all the talking, which tends to be our conscious thinking mind. And for men, <laughs> this is very common. It mm -hmm. it, the, the mind tends to be more of the masculine in all of us, whether you're a male or female. Yeah. It's a part of you that's always talking and making decisions and how do I figure this out and how do I get from A to B? And we spend so much time there. But there's this other part of all of us called our body mind or our unconscious mind. And it's the part of us that hosts our emotions, our feelings, our memory. Some people say it actually is our physical body. Um, and it's really important to understand as well, our unconscious mind plays host to what I refer to as our intuition. When you hear the word intuit or intuition, it's like your inner teacher. Um, it tends to be more of the feminine aspect to us. And for men, I mean, we're, we're naturally wired to be more in the conscious mind, that masculine energy. And so to rely or to start relying more on the instinctive, intuitive part of us means that our conscious mind has to make a conscious decision to become more of a listener than a, an over-talker. And what's amazing is in the invitation of mindfulness, we start noticing that our conscious mind, when it begins to listen to the unconscious body-mind, whether that be just listening to your gut feeling in the moment or taking a few breaths and just asking your, your internal self, like your intuitive self, what do I really need right now? It's amazing if you're willing to listen, what pops up. It's the difference between the mind tends to be more information based, the physical world in form, where the body mind tends to be more inspiration based, inspirato, in spirit. It's like that non-physical form. And for the conscious mind to give that up is scary because the conscious mind wants to see the hard facts, hold on to everything. It's very, like, it wants to be tangible. But the invitation here is to have the faith <laughs> to learn how to be more of a listener to that inspiration. And as a result, we see more innovation in the corporate world happening when that takes place. We see more balance. We see more work-life balance. We see people making decisions that are actually informed from a place of spirit as opposed to just fear. <laughs> it's awesome. Like, that does go on and on here. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it does, that does sound awesome. And you, I mean, you talked about that moment when you were in grade seven where you were in front of the group and you mm -hmm. had a moment of intuition. Yeah. So, and I think this is especially difficult. And I, well, I know this is especially difficult for men to cultivate that sense of intuition. Yeah. The way my teacher talks about it is like, pause, place your awareness on the moment and wait for, as you call it, your body mind to reveal what needs to happen next. Yeah. And that's, that's intu intuitive. So how, how should, you know, men in particular have a hard time cultivating this? How do you cultivate that sense of mm. intuition? Yeah. What are some practices? Yeah. Well, one of the most basic that I found helpful is very similar to what your teacher suggested. It's like in those moments where you're feeling like your thinking mind is just out of control and you're in worry mode, you're in fear mode, you just feel like everything's stressed. It's like the pause. It's like to consciously pause, take a few deep breaths. And what I like to do is close my eyes if I can, if I'm not driving, <laughs> close my eyes and I'll, I'll actually take my hand and place it on my heart center or somewhere on my body just because um, the, the conscious mind is very tangible and it wants like specific reference. So when mm. I take my hand, I'm, going, I'm placing it on my heart. I'm going to listen to the wisdom of my intuitive body. And I just ask. I just have my conscious mind ask the heart a question. And the, the typical question I ask is, 
what do you truly want from me right now? And when I listen to that, the first thing that's popping up for me, I hear space. It's like just spaciousness. And so sometimes I get these very like open, broad answers. But when I sit with that, I can always take it back. What do you mean by space? And it's saying declog your schedule. <laughs> you get good at starting to trust what you hear. And what would that look like? Oh, maybe a few less coaching clients. Let go of the ones that are not necessarily serving the higher good here. You know, like um, it's just really going to that place. So, so the exercise is very simple. Pause, take a breath as you close your eyes, a few breaths till you get your conscious mind to a state of listening. Place your hand on your heart or your gut or wherever you need to. And you ask, you just say, what do I need to know right now? And you imagine that you're just listening to like the wisdom of a partner, the wisdom of your intuitive self. And there's a, at first it's challenging because the conscious mind wants to over talk. It's so conditioned. So it's going to say, was that my, was that my intuition? I don't know. Am I doing the right thing here? This is weird. That guy that was on the podcast, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I can't do this. That's your over talking mind. So just notice when that happens. And it takes a bit of work, but as you just breathe and you create space, and you just listen, and you ask the question, what do you truly want from me right now? The first thing that pops up when you hear it, 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 it comes with this feeling of just peace. It comes from this place of like a certainty as opposed to second guessing. Um, that's one of the best practices, I think, to tap into this. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a great practice. It's so simple. Uh, it is. I mean, to speak about. To speak about. <laughs> it's. I mean, it's. But even simple. It's simple to to try it. I think, the, you know, the fear of failure is going to be strong. That you know, I think, a lot of people out there might try it once and, and oh, it didn't work. Yeah. And I think that the other part of this is hold the pose. Try yeah. it. Again, yeah. again, again. And it. I, that's a great point. And this actually deepens with practice. And to remember that it's a practice. But the, the amazing thing is when you consistently return back to learning how to listen internally to that wisdom of your heart center um, or your gut center, so just wherever you're f you connect, um, it, over time you just, it becomes more and more a conditioned way of being. And the unconscious mind part of us, the body-mind part of us, it learns through patterns and repetition. Just think about when you were a kid. You know, kids are so unconscious. Like their conscious mind, I mean, it's there, but it's not as overdriven as an adult. The unconscious mind, like a little kid, learns through patterns and repetition. When you think about all of the habits that we've formed over time, they started back when we watched our parents repetitively do certain things. Like Friday night, my dad would make popcorn, and that was the thing. And now, I, like whenever I see popcorn, I just crave it. It's like Friday night, I need popcorn. You know, we get into these conditioned habits. So part of this is like repetitively to make this like a very pleasurable thing and to, to consistently come back to it. Over time, you find that, yeah, it just it becomes more and more instinctive and conditioned in a really healthy way. That's a, it's a, it's a great thing for, um, people to try out there. When you, you know, you talked about your work in, in the coaching space and I'm curious if you've seen any kind of patterns emerge when you're working with men in particular around mindfulness. Yeah. I feel it come up in myself as a coach too. Mm. Um, especially coaching other men in this field, all of my insecurities come up as a coach. 
And I think that's so awesome because if they didn't, I, I think that that actually would be where the issue would lie. Um, just speaking as a man, there's so much discomfort feeling emotion and feelings. It's like one of those patterns that was ingrained from the second I arrived on the planet from numerous sources of don't cry, don't feel, uh, get to work, <laughs> you've got to accomplish something to prove your worth. And, you know, I, I think that that's one of the greatest challenges when I sit down with men in coaching is that there's this sort of discomfort about, oh my gosh, this is going to be like touchy-feely and somehow, like, I don't want to go there, you know. Um, again, it's like this conscious mind shuts down or the saboteur mindset shuts down. And as, as a result, we get really stuck in this, uh, well, it's almost like being like a flea in a jar, mm. you know. Uh, it's on a side note, they've done experiments with fleas in jars. It's so amazing. If you put a flea in a jar, it'll jump out. It can jump 100 times its height. But if you put a lid on the jar, the flea jumps and hits the bottom of the lid. And over time, it teaches itself not to jump so high as to hit the, the lid. It only jumps so high. And so the crazy thing is if you take the lid off the jar, the flea never jumps out again. It just it, it thinks that it's like stuck. Even though it's a wide open net above it, it's like wide open sky. It just it only jumps so high. And this is what I think happens when people, especially men, come to coaching initially is they're stuck in this pattern of, I can't feel, I'm, I don't want to do this, I don't want to look at my stuff, and then all of a sudden, growth is just not there. But the invitation to like push the edge, to go to the place that scares you the most, and to do it in a way that's like safe, mm -hmm. you know, as a coach, that's really important, is to create a very safe space to do the work. Wow, like some of the opportunities for transformation, when we dive into that, are just incredible, you know? People shifting out of everything from like, well, in, on the personal side, like from bad relationships and bad habits to um, improving in terms of like their productivity in the workplace because they were so scared to have that conversation or reach out to that particular person. And all of a sudden they realized, oh, that was my lack of confidence because I wasn't feeling good about myself and the limiting beliefs that are underlying it from the saboteur place. So yeah, that coaching men is... Uh, a great challenge, but I absolutely love it. I love the the flea in the jar um, analogy <laughs> study. I can't believe that Harvard studied a flea in a jar, but it, that's cool. Uh -uh. Is it? It is interesting, though, and especially when it comes to the emotional side of things. Yeah, because this is the area you've touched on it that men have a really difficult time with is getting out of the jar, in essence, and and yeah, I think. Men are comfortable displaying some emotions at work. Yeah. I think anger and fear, for sure. Yeah. And way less comfortable with others. What I'm seeing is a lot of times where the, when the, the emotional content comes out, which I believe is everywhere, um, there's resistance in particular around like joy and sadness for men mm. and displaying that. And I'm curious if you've seen any really good examples of where that's not the case, where you've got uh, you know, a man who's able to display a full spectrum of emotion or at least what's, you know, what's appropriate for the workplace mm -hmm. um, and still be an effective leader. Oh, absolutely. Uh, there's this one guy in particular, I won't name his name right now just because <laughs> I don't have his permission, but um, 
it's amazing that he's moved to a place of just his presence alone is enough. Like how he shows up is enough. And so he is in this state of mind where wherever he is, he is like wide open to what is real in that present moment. So I've seen him go from like bliss to pissed. <laughs> like it's just like, wow. And, and to be able to just be open to every single feeling and emotion that's arising in the workplace environment allows him access to dealing with all the different types of people that are <laughs> that he has to deal with on a regular basis, uh, to confront issues that um, might have shut down, to celebrate his successes, like to move to a place of like, wow, I did this. And like, it's it's uh, actually incredible. I wish I could <laughs> share more about him because he's, uh, he's quite an amazing man, but he's moved into this place of just his being is enough. And that's uh, quite powerful. Well, that's a, that's equally powerful, that statement around your being is enough. Yeah. And that's the, the, the crux of the coaching I do, and it sounds like it's very similar to yours, is that it's like let's dispense with all the typical masculine traits of, you know, let's get things done, do, do, do. Yeah. And let's find a way of being that supports the things that you want to do. Yeah, like let the doing arise from the being. Do you talk about this in your book? Somewhat. I mean, uh, indirectly, I, I do. I, I Basically, this book that I put out wrote itself. It was a handwritten thing originally from a morning practice that I was doing. Well, it's funny. I mean, like, it's a uh, making sense of mindfulness and you know, to be talking about this. What a great title for a book. Yeah. But it sounds like the genesis was fairly organic, like like both of our lives. It really was. It was... Uh, channel but how i how i put it together in the writing of it it's uh, five principles to integrating mindfulness practice into your daily life so some of the aspects we're speaking about are in there um the saboteurs in there the the connection between our mind and our body is in principle four all about living mind fully aware there's a third aspect to who we are besides our mind and body that often gets neglected when we talk about mindfulness because the conscious mind clamps down and goes, oh, that's like spiritual or that's religious or this is, but um, in the book I refer to it as your higher self. And it's very easy to start going, oh, well, that's my reference for God or Buddha or whatever it is, or I don't believe in anything. That's not what I'm referencing. I'm referencing more the part of you that um, has access to all creativity, the part of you that's connected to everything. Um, it's the unseen under the surface that's like beating your heart and breathing your breath. And it often doesn't get talked about, but it's it. there's a way to access that place, that creativity, that synchronicity consciously. And when that comes in, oh my goodness, look out. I mean, things just flow better. Um, it's mm. to get the mind to start tuning into the body so that your creative self can come through. And I think one of the cool things was when I was a kid and writing songs way back in the day, this is this was kind of just something you did, is you, you learned how to listen to that creative part come through. But the, the disconnect for a lot of people is that um, you can't access this creative higher self directly through the conscious mind. It comes through the unconscious body mind, if that makes sense. So that's why it's like, oh, I've got this gut feeling. Or listen to your heart. It's like these instinctual places. That's where the creativity is. Well, I mean, what a what a wonderful concept. I mean, you're giving people access to this through a book. Yeah. You know, we talked about the idea of, you know, over-intellectualizing things. Uh-huh. 
and there's practice in there. And I think that to me is such an important component. Yes. Because understanding mindfulness and then embodying it are, are very different. Yeah. They might, they both have merit, um, but the embodiment piece is so important. That's what I love about what you're bringing to the conversation. Even this conversation has been an example of you really embodying these practices. Thank you. When you say embodying, like two practices I wanted to mention briefly. Here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, one is start a mindfulness practice I love. Start noticing the pace in which you're moving through your day. Um, I take groups through this a lot where I, I say, okay, I want you to just start walking around the space we're in at the pace that would best represent your day-to-day life. And typically people are just like, are you serious? I got to jog to actually show how my day-to-day life looks. Like the pace is so fast. And I continually every few minutes say, okay, pause and split the pace in half. Split the pace in half and half again. And so by the end of the exercise, people have gone from this place of just like jogging essentially and walking fast to just super slow and present. And the awareness shift that happens when you change your pace is amazing, you know, just to start thinking about how am I moving through the day? And one other practice that's popping up here that I wanted to mention is just in terms of how am I being in every conversation throughout the day? Mm. It's a form of anchoring practice in a very tangible way. You know, has my mind gone to that 47% that's left the building? Oh, okay, I'm coming back to this conversation at hand and I'm just going to listen. I'm not going to overthink what I'm going to say next. I'm just going to be present. And that's another really powerful one I find that's um, part of this book too. It's just ways to actually integrate this into your your being as you go through the day well and they're not they don't involve you sitting on a yoga mat for 20 minutes and just breathing right and it, you know i know I've, I've mentioned that analogy but i think it's what i it's kind of the resistance i feel when we start talking about mindfulness especially in a corporate setting yes. where it's like okay i don't own yoga pants so i don't know if it's going to work <laughs> right right and what you're saying is it's it's like this practice happens in the workplace, in your relationships, in your life. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, um, it's happening anyway. It's just that the mindful invitation is to become more aware of how am I being while I'm doing and to bring consciousness to that so that everything uh, rises up. You know, my friend Mark says your beer tastes better when you're mindful, you know, um, your conversations improve, your relationships improve. You don't second guess yourself so often when you're when you're practicing mindfulness because presence is where your power is. It, presence is where it's at. I'm telling you. So yeah, just consider. I mean, how am I being while I'm going through today? That's so great, Keith. This has been such a good conversation. Yeah. Um, I you know I mean I, even as you're speaking, you've you know controlled my pace to some degree, which has been great or slowed it down. If people out there want to find out more about you and your work and get more present and get more mindful where where should they find you yeah uh well uh, my website is keith mcpherson.ca m-a-c-p-h-e-r-s-o-n keith mcpherson.ca and um that's probably the central place to find me there's lots of tools resources reach out with questions um i post a daily quote every morning it's amazing i for everyone out there i'm going to link up keith's info in the show notes just so you don't need to write everything down uh, Keith's doing, if you happen to um, be looking, Keith's book is called Making Sense of Mindfulness. It'll be available on stores already, or is it? Yeah, it's uh, in stores and on Amazon and 
Awesome. Yeah. I'll link that up as well. Thank you. Thanks for being here, brother. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the Men at Work podcast. And I cannot wait to dig into your book Thank and you. be able to try some of these practical tools for mindfulness. Thanks, Travis. It's been an honor to be here. Right. That's a wrap on episode number six of the Men at Work podcast. I hope you took away a lot from this conversation, especially around this topic that sometimes is ethereal around mindfulness. I'm going to link up all the info on Keith and his new book, Making Sense of Mindfulness. In the meantime, uh, see if you can go find some time and listen to my other episodes. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for episode number seven coming at you next week.